Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by Elec 825. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I know you didn't watch the Thursday night football game. I'm not going to so, ask. So in that way, sports is no different for me. No, right. <laughs> nothing's changed yeah, exactly. in your life. Uh-huh. Uh, but what you have done is you've taken the time to go back through some of your family memorabilia around yeah. sports. And you posted something last weekend. Or some people might call it crap. I yeah, uh-huh. did not think so. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. Tell me about the scorecard that you posted last weekend. So, so my, my son and I, when we would go to baseball games, he would keep score from a very young age. He, it's just something that he always did. What I didn't realize is that he was putting commentary on the scorecards. So we were going flipping through some scorecards from when he was six or seven, and there was a. Score He's now card. about to go to college next year. Yes. So this is like not last week. Right. And, and, <laughs> and we were so we were flipping through these, and and there was one against the Mets, and he has a great disdain for the Mets. Clearly. Yes. And and. and on, on right, it. Raised right not, not only did he write the, the Phillies won that game and not only did he write win very big winners on one side which by the way he spelled with one N but <laughs> <laughs> and, and on the other for, uh, for the Mets he wrote losers in really big letters across <laughs> their side of the scorecard and then on the bottom where the pitchers were it said stink and skunk <laughs> <laughs> so all right, we, we talk, and we're going to have Dave Raymond on, uh, original friend of the Fanatic, many other things. I'll let you do a formal introduction when he's there. Mm-hmm. But he, he focuses on the power of fun and the, the fun around the game. How did it make you feel going through that with your son, bringing back those memories of sitting there at those games together? It, one, it made me nostalgic, and I loved it. And did it make sec- you sad to not have the games well, or happy that you, you had the you memories? You didn't get me the, the So, too, then it made me sad that we didn't have the games because all this happened on what was you know opening week. So uh, I'm missing it. As you see, I'm, I'm sitting here wearing my Iron Pig shirt, and you know I've been in touch with the Iron Pigs and finding out what the players are doing. And hopefully in the coming weeks we're going to have some of them on and talk about kind of how they're spending their time uh, you know, because they're all doing interesting stuff now. Some of them are v- very social media savvy. So they're they're doing things that, you know, how many times have we had Cole Irvin on from the time he was he was a young pup? Um, we, we've talked to him about all the different things that he does outside of baseball. So we're hoping to have him on because he he was one of the the guys that was originally on Twitch. I didn't. I don't know about you. I'd never heard of Twitch. That's how you learned about Twitch, right? <laughs> and so he plays games. You know, we we hear about Matisse the Thibel is playing games against the Suns. Now we're hearing the NBA or not the NBA. The G League is starting to have games against each other. And one of our former guests, Haywood Highsmith, is apparently the guy who's going to be playing for the Bluecoats. So digital games against yeah, each other, right? So yeah, so so. People are, you know, all the stuff that I kind of poo-pooed about digital sports. and Now you know, now you're thinking about it Now that's all that's left for the moment. So you, you kind of find ways to, to make that your thing because alternatively what I'm doing is watching a lot of sports, a but lot we, of old but we games. And, talk about the fun. And, and Dave Raymond, you are joining us, original friend of the Fanatic, international keynote speaker, author of The Power of Fun. And I was asking Jeff, who found a scorecard with his son who um, was not a fan of the Mets apparently at that time for his <laughs> writings on the scorecard. Um, about the losers f- across the scorecard. Ab- about the fun <laughs> feelings that it brought to him thinking about those games and experiences while not being able to go to the game. So we thought that might be a good lead in to to you and, and how you're working with the power of fun to help people uh, win what's a challenging time. 
Well, first of all, it's awesome being back with you guys, uh, Jeff and Jason, and being able to uh, talk a little baseball uh, on on maybe a, a sad time in our our history where we're not uh, starting baseball on time. So, um, yeah, anything that can distract us for sure. Um, I have, um, you know, I I, I kind of witnessed a lot of uh, solutions to this on the front lines when I when I got the greatest job in the world without recognizing there was anything special going on. So most of my time with the Phillies was trying to figure out why the heck I was happy all the time. And the, the easy answer was um, that, geez, I'm, I'm getting paid to have fun. <laughs> I have, uh, I, I go to all the Phillies games. Uh, I get to know some of my heroes. And so that was my answer. Um, but, you know, I really, really discovered that the fanatic had some uh, wonderful, uh, very powerful tools that I was forced to uh, use. And I didn't recognize it until, um, life came up and whapped me upside the head and and made me realize uh, something special was going on so so you know not only did I have the greatest job in the world but I, I was forced to um, to be involved in laughter smiles joy uh, celebrations everywhere I went so that's a pretty cool job to get paid to do so so tell us about the journey now post friend of the fanatic you're out there you're you're motivational you're a keynote speaker you're a writer um, I'm probably going to watch afterwards on Facebook Live. You'll be on at 5:30 talking about the power of fun. Um, now we, you know, we do this show. We try and focus on the game and baseball, and so you know, we'll talk about the fun times with you at the Fanatic. But what do you do now as as a guy trying to be out there and project? I saw the other day you said you were having a tough day, and you tried to refocus to to make sure that you were focusing on the fun. Well, I'm, I need this lesson more than anybody. I mean, uh, my, my self-appointed type, title is Emperor Fun. And believe me, uh, my wife uh, occasionally is yelling at me, okay, okay, Emperor, you know, why don't you practice? <laughs> Does she preach? call herself uh, the Empress? <laughs> no, no, she, she doesn't play into any of the uh, – she knows nothing, nothing can trump, a, trump an emperor. So, <laughs> there you know, you go. so she doesn't try to fight that battle. Uh, but she, of course, like uh, like a good husband is, my wife is is right ninety nine percent of the time, and it's the truth. So it's not me just making it up. Uh, well, to, Jason, to answer your question, I, you know, I I was living an idyllic life, um, you know, growing up with an icon for a father, my hero, uh, Tubby Raymond, the head football coach at Delaware. I get this job with the Phillies, and um, you know, it it is everything that happened to Gritty is exactly what happened when I started the fanatic. It, it just didn't happen quite as quickly because we didn't have social media. Um, and then in my early thirties, my mother was diagnosed with brain cancer and it was terminal. Um, right around the same time, my marriage, my first marriage dissolved. I had a six month old son and, and my thought was I can't, I can't do my job and act like a clown, you know, and I, I started going to the Phillies and say, look, can you cancel my appearances? And I, I had an appearance that I had to do and it truly was the best two hours of my entire life uh, during the midst of that struggle, because when I disappeared in the fanatics personality, I, you know, all of my sorrow and pain just went away. And I and then I went back to Phil and said, no, no, don't cancel appearances. I'll do four in one day. And and I what happened was that ability to distract me from really nasty struggles. And you look at what we're going through today and you look through what people what life can throw you and all of us are going to go through it at some time. And, you know, the, the distraction that the fanatic and the, the power of that green fur uh, was my ability to use this distracting power of fun to give me little breaks along the way. 
And if you if you focus on those good things, as I was forced to do when I was the fanatic, I, I couldn't be sad. I couldn't be upset. I was focused on, you know, delivering joy and happiness and having all of that, all those positive responses come back to me. I started to recognize it was making me feel better a little bit at a time. So I had that little departure. And so when I talk to audiences and I, you know, I speak to groups, leaders, 12 leaders from Uber Sooner all the way to uh, 1500 folks that are internal auditors and um, and I'm telling them these stories about how they can engage it the same way. And what happens is we don't look at fun as powerful. We look at it as a time when we're taking a vacation or throwing a party or, or just fooling around and yeah, we don't it's a, value it's a break, it. It's a break from life. It's not actual life. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, and we don't, we say, okay, I'll get to that right now. I've got some serious problems. And, and that is the flip of what should happen during the most difficult times that when you say that's when you need to ask the question, how am I going to engage fun? Not only to distract me, but to prime my brain for the positive. Um, there's, you know, the science of uh, positive psychology teaches that you've got these neural pathways that if you are focused on good or you're actually practicing, uh, you know, what am I grateful for? What happened that was good today? Um, I'm not looking at the macro disaster and, and the sky is falling and the world is ending. I'm looking internally. Uh, it's great to have my family all together. Um, I'm with all of my kids for the first time since they were. I get to do know, a radio little... show with Jeff. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, you, Jason. The bingo, power of it. fun, right there, Dave. Yeah. There, there was go. a dripping like sarcasm <laughs> with that. Yeah. And, and Jeff, just like I told, just like I was telling Jason, it doesn't have to be really big. So this idea of having. <laughs> oh, thanks. A show Jeff, believe me, Jeff is a little piece of fun. Uh, so, so that's the trick. That's the trick, and that's what the fanatic taught me was that you just it, it is a it is practice. It's um it's simple, but it's very difficult to master. Um, we don't value fun because it's because of the simplicity of fun, and as defined in the dictionary, simplicity are those things that are easily understood, and those things that are easily understood we just don't value. Um, so you have to work at it. You have to practice it. There is a new there's an online course from Yale talked. Uh, taught by Dr. Lori Santos, and it is for free online. You can go to Yale. Jeff, Jeff, we can all say we studied at Ooh. Yale. You go, on, oh. you go online, uh, Google search Yale. Uh, can I, can I add that to write my resume? Too? No. Yes, you can. <laughs> graduate, for, graduate for, 40, from Yale. for $49, you can pay $49 and get a certificate to say that you took the class. So, um, and I think but, Yale's but been to the NCAA tournament more recently than his his alma mater, hey, Rutgers. Easy there, <laughs> easy there. He's not uh, letting this go. He's like a dog with a bone, Dave. He he will no, not let okay. it go. It's, that's okay. It, it so, is amazing. So the the the, inter the other interesting thing of all this was that um, all of the appearances I made as the fanatic outside of Veterans Stadium, and that he continues to make today are constant reminders of how it works virtually everywhere. Um, and that's what's at everywhere, everywhere at any time. And then my, uh, my theory is that when the worst is coming your way, that's when you absolutely have to engage it. And that's what's happening today is that we, we, and in, in the, the, um, in the Facebook lives that I'm doing, I'm getting such amazing response from people uh, writing me notes back and say, hey, I tried that this week and it really worked. Um, so I'm, you know, not that it's not validated in science, but I get validation real time when when the audiences I talk to come back and tell me because I give them exercises. We do some exercises on Facebook Live as well to practice this. And we um, it's really wonderful to hear back from people who are actually taking fun seriously and and sharing with me 
uh, how it how it's been working for them. You know, you mentioned earlier that that one of the groups you were in front of was a bunch of over a thousand auditors, which which uh, <laughs> made me made me think that can't be the most fun place that the fanatic has ever been. So <laughs> no, although it might be a little bit of fun as you were describing me, um, but. <laughs> Um, tell us about other places, fun places that people might not have expected the fanatic to have been to other than the one where we get to belovedly see him at Citizens Bank Park and prior veteran stadium. Well, there, there probably hasn't an event that you could try to design or mention that the fanatic has not been to over, you know, 41 years, but the, uh, you know, I did a Japanese game show over in mainland Japan <laughs> where there was no, Absolutely no English being spoken. I didn't know the rules. I didn't know what the host was saying. I didn't know what the they didn't audience prep, was They didn't prep the fanatic? Uh, no, they just threw me out there. You and, just stood and, there, put the tongue out, <laughs> waving the belly? Yeah, I danced. I shot. I stuck the belly out, stuck the tongue out. You and, should have brought um, the hot dog launcher then. Oh, <laughs> that could, yeah, little weapons of mass humor. Um <laughs> But I, uh, but it worked, you know, and they, you know, the producer got back to us and said, that's oh, the greatest show we've ever had. And, you know, I still to this day don't know what the heck was going on. Um, so, it, you know, it bridges, it bridged the language barrier. Um, um, my favorite, I'd mentioned this to you, Jeff, uh, earlier today that uh, uh, Ethel Kennedy um, had the Fanatic do some uh, tennis fundraisers for her, for the RFK Memorial Tennis Tournament. And what was, that was held every year just before the U.S. Open at Flushing Meadows. Leading up to that tournament, she did a lot of fundraisers. So in Philadelphia, the Fanatic was at a couple of those fundraisers. She fell in love with the Fanatic, and, of course, I came along with the deal. We got to know each other uh, during that time, and she said, David, I want you to bring the Fanatic to Hickory Hill, which was where her and, and Bobby raised their family in McLean, Virginia. said, I want you to come. We're going to have a, a Kennedy gathering. And I, and I said, well, Mrs. Kennedy, what, what, what do you want me to do there? <laughs> and she said, well, you know us Kennedys. We get together and we play sports. It becomes serious business. And by the time dinner rolls around, somebody's pissed at somebody else. <laughs> and I want you to come and referee. Because uh, if you're the referee, nobody will take it seriously. And sure enough, I did that. And I was at Camelot uh, trying to keep the Kennedys away from each other's throats. And it worked. <laughs> so, you, uh, you've been at funerals too, which is not yes. a place I would expect people to have fun, but I guess it is a celebration of someone's life and the fanatic could help with that, correct? But it should also tell you what it, what an impact you had on people's lives that this would be, the, you know, their last wish. Yeah, that's one that's wonderful that you said that, Jeff, because my my answer is just what Jason said it was, why were you there? Well, to, you know, laughter at a funeral is not uncommon. Um you know, you, there's a tremendous amount of sorrow, but that that's the little dose of fun that fits in there. So what they what the gentleman, the first one I did was a, was an Irishman who um, who was about 95 years old when he passed away. And he was a huge fan. And he wrote in his will that he wanted the fanatic at his wake. And, you know, I, I showed up there. I, I usually pantomime this where I'm where I'm, you know, where the old uh, silent um, comedian is pulling the wall and moving his face slowly over the edge of the wall peering in like uh oh how and then as soon as the fanatic did that everyone was like hey it's a fanatic come on in and there was dancing and high fiving and uh and celebration and it and that and i and i did at least three funerals that i that i my recollection connects i know that uh, the current best friend of the fanatic tom burgoyne has has been to uh some of those same types of events um and uh, and it was it was a, it turns out to be a celebration and and 
if if I also go, if fun works at a funeral, where else would it not work? I mean, it, it's it's a wonderful interpretation of the theory that fun works everywhere. Um, Does and it then, work at a and, court? And, <laughs> well, that's yeah. You, so Tom Burgoyne, uh, when we you know he and I are such good friends, and we we've talked about this before. He's 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 been to my my speech, and he's he and I have done interviews together. And he told me one of his most amazing uh, opportunities to take the fanatic anywhere was in the Supreme Court's justices' private chambers uh, during Justice Alito's confirmation. So at the end of you know a contentious confirmation the justices all get together and they throw a dinner <laughs> in their private chambers where no one else is invited, where they can bond. Right. And so Alita was from New Jersey or is from New Jersey and um, was a big, uh, um, a big fanatic fan. So um, they invited the fanatic in and Tom brought the fanatic in and, and there the fanatic was bonding, you know, the greatest legal minds of our country, uh, you know, dressed like a Muppet. I have all of these. I have a picture of all these justices sitting around a table, and the fanatic just pulling up a seat, plopping his belly up to the table. It's just, it's just the best visual in my head right now. Rubbing, rubbing someone's head. Yeah, like uh, yeah. going yeah. around to like going pour, around to one of the justices, pour, pouring, Ruth Bader pop, Ginsburg yeah, pouring like, popcorn on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun. Yeah. So, but, so the opposite, sort of the opposite of that is the, the inspiration that the fanatic has on kids. And and for years, I worked in politics and. Can't tell you how many little league opening days I've been at, where the fanatic was there to throw out the first pitch, and, and all the kids run around and get so excited that he's there. Just talk for a minute about the impact that the fanatic has on kids. That obviously it had that impact on Justice Alito. That as an adult getting sworn into the highest court in the land, he wanted that piece of his own life there. Yeah, well, it's it's a, it is a it is truly the reason why. Uh, from a from a business perspective, why organizations invest in something that can take their message and distract with entertainment and um, be able to make a deep emotional connection with your fans. So th that is the, the, the business science that's going on is that the fanatic makes these immediate moments that you'll remember. Because I, when I travel, it, what's amazing to me is everybody around this whole country knows who the fanatic is. Cause, and I'll go to a place thinking, well, I'm going to have to explain to them, you know, who I am and what I did. No, and they know. Virtually, they are all, they're all like, oh, yeah, we, we've seen him, we know him, we love him. Or they have a story about him. But he, you know, he, he'll make these uh, emotional connections with everybody. And so if you're a child and, a, and a, a kid, it's actually easier to do that with a child because the beauty of children is, is their naivete, uh, their, um, you know, their innocence their belief, their suspension of belief that you know, this is a real character. And they have these, um, you talk about neuropathways, they, they immediately remember this fondly. Now, there's a small percentage that go running in terror, but that's, that's another, <laughs> you know, that, that's the, what do they call that? They call that uh, collateral damage. Believe you know, me, I'm already giving my little... three-year-old the fanatic stuffed animal so that he knows who it is. So he's not afraid when we take him to a game and he's right there. Yeah, but you know tunnel. what the difference is? Eight feet. You're showing him, you're showing him a five-inch version and suddenly this seven-and-a-half-foot seven tall if monster comes running. If you've seen him. me, I'm not tall at all. My son is used to tall people towering over him and he's not... for the rest of his life. <laughs> so he just guy's just a little bit furrier, but he's used to tall people over top of him. So he's not afraid of me is what yeah. you're saying. No, not yeah, right. he's used yeah, to it. Yeah, he's yeah. Like, <laughs> and I tell him all the time. He looks up at them like marveling. and I'm like, Dude, you have no chance. Like You're my kid. Yeah, you're you've, not, you're, you've got no shot with that at uh, that's great <laughs> so tell you you're, you're also you so also, just it, good i was just gonna say so the, the the end of that the end of that 
that point is that the ki- the kids become such a um, you know such an emotional connection that that the team or the organization that that character represents is like family. Uh, which if you if you're marketing if you're a, a marketing uh, person uh, or a marketing nerd like I am, you you have this continuum from followers. Um, to advocacy or to an evangelist, and you want your customers to go through that continuum all the way to uh, to evangelists. Well, it shortens that that continuum when you connect emotionally. You jump from fan to family uh, when there's about four steps in between. So when you have a tool like that, a business tool, you you do that. These kids, which is why the flyers, you know, uh, you know, wanted me to help them create gritty because they were tired of missing out of, of being able to make those emotional connections with kids. And it's so wonderful to, to, again, to be in a job where you, you put on another entity, you, you, you become another person, you walk out immediately, you know, five and six year olds say, Hey, Matic, I love you. And then they come and hug you. I mean, there's nothing like that. I'm, I'm sorry. So I distracted a bit from the other question. Well, no, but now, now you've you brought up another creation, which is gritty. So th- He's the complete opposite of the fanatic, <laughs> but but he seems to still have the same impact. Best but, mascot yeah, for the second and, year in a row. <laughs> like like how, and, and how did you, you do that? Well, but th- but think about it. So well, you we did that by following. You know, one of the things I did when I left the Phillies and I got involved in developing character brands for other clients was was deconstructing why the fanatic was successful. And, and there were a couple of things that were really important that the Phillies did not have in the beginning, but immediately recognized that they needed. So they included it. And that was authentic storytelling that your fans will know and breathe because they've already lived that story. So the, you know, the fanatic is vulnerable, wears his emotions on his sleeves is uh, constantly insecure. Um, you know, so you have those elements of being a Philadelphia Phillies fan. Or a, or a Philadelphia fan in general. So what we did with the Flyers was you got to get a story together that's authentic so that that answers the question, why? Because everybody's going to say, why? Why does it look like that? Why is it scary? Uh, you know, why does it need a bath? Why does it, you know, why does it have those, those wild eyes? Uh, and all the answers come from building the story. Oh, you didn't know? Well, he was a troll. You know, he lived under all the maturations of the stadiums that the Flyers have played in over the years, and they've just discovered him. So he's been living under the ground. His eyes are sensitive to light. So he's always got his eyes wide. I'm like, oh, my God, what the, what the heck happened? Like a deer in the headlights. Um, he's, he's black and orange. Um, so uh, I don't know if it was Jason or Jeff that mentioned they're, they're the exact opposite. Well, they really, when you look at them now, they, I understand why you say that, but really they were exactly the same. They were a crazy wild looking character that had no reference to the team other than maybe a Jersey or colors. Does it, does it make you proud? It all done. Does it make you proud that the 65% of the NHL players voted him the best mas- mascot? <laughs> <laughs> I like, listen, I take great pride in anybody mentioning anything uh, in a positive frame that we were involved in, but it was like hitting the lottery twice to be able to be involved with one of the greatest sports organizations of the world in terms of, management um you know the, the phillies understood why fun was valuable they did it naturally they didn't need to be taught about it they didn't need to study positive psychology they just did it naturally and the flyers were just tired of missing out on having their own character brand um and and they decided to join the party now the the beauty was their fearlessness that this never would have had just like bill giles the fanatic would have never been created with bill giles um uh 
the Gritty would never have been born without that organization with uh, Joe Heller and, and Sean Tilger. They it just they were fearless. They go, I don't care. I don't care what they say. This is going to be ours. We want it to be scary. We, we don't want kids to hug them. They can high five them. But they, you know, we don't it's if we frighten a few kids, it doesn't matter. You know, this is us. And that takes a lot of you know what's in this industry to do that. And the Flyers did a great job like that. You mentioned recognizing the value of fun. So before we let you go, where can we get the book, The Power of Fun? And where can we check out the Facebook Live after the show tonight? What a wonderful lead-in for my shameless. There we go. I gave you. I gave you the floor for a shameless plug. <laughs> it right is a, there. You know, we're having another author on at four thirty. This is like our book club. I'm the literary yeah. transition right, good, good. And, right and there. And Power of Fun is. I've read it. It, it is a great book, and it, it, it's well, it's it, it's not a shameless plug for us because, quite frankly, it's something we try to practice. Oh, thank you. So it's you can just go to DaveRaymondSpeaks.com. DaveRaymondSpeaks.com. You get the book exclusively there. We actually have a free newsletter. If you want to try the book out, you can just sign up for the free newsletter and you automatically get a chapter of the book uh, sent to you right after you sign up for the newsletter. Newsletter is a monthly, uh, so we don't try to kill your inbox. Um, And that's where you can learn all about um, my keynote speech speeches, which, by the way, are are non-existent right now in this world. We're doing some virtual presentations and virtual trainings, uh, but uh, I'm hoping that this will be a springboard back. And I'm proud of the book. You will uh, will love it. I've had some help writing it so that it's an easy read. I tell people, put it in the bathroom. You'll be done in a day and a half. Um, not you won't have to stay in the bathroom that long, but you, if you wanted to, you'd be done in yeah, two Especially if there's a shortage of toilet paper, Dave. No wonder <laughs> we have this run right now. Everybody is reading your book. That's exactly what's go. going on. Dave, uh, we can't thank you enough for always joining us. Uh, we'll get you back again in the future, and uh, we'll keep trying to find the fun in all this that's going on. So thanks so much for the well, time, you get- man. You guys are already practicing. Thanks, uh, uh, Jason and Jeff. And, and stop by at 5.30 at... Uh, you just go to go to search Dave Raymond on Facebook and 530 we go live and, and it can be interactive and you could win some prizes. Sounds like a plan. Thanks so much, Dave. You have a great one. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Have a good evening. Take care. Bye. Jeff, I'm just going to blow through the break and keep having fun with baseball. I hope you don't mind. Uh, are you cool with that? No, because otherwise you're just going to talk to me off air. Yeah, you don't want to talk to me Might as well do anyway. this where we're getting paid. Right? So I, when you told me about the idea for this book and this author coming on, yeah. I got very excited because I still have the box of all my baseball cards that my mom found in the basement. Well, I just told you we were going through scorecards and we were going through sleeves of baseball cards that are now all organized. Brad Baluchin, author of The Wax Pack, uh, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Uh, I can't complain. I'm going to talk baseball cards, which is so much fun to me. I, I I still have everything in the basement. My wife laughs at me that I won't let her throw it away. It's just like a portion of my childhood. They're all in their jewel cases, and I remember looking at them and going through them. Jeff's going through scorecards the other day. Yeah, and, and, and Brad, you know, one of the things I noticed about you from reading the book was, was that you grew up as a Phillies fan, and uh, one of the reasons struck me as funny, which was that you love the letter F, but, um, <laughs> but, but I don't know if you heard, but, but we had the Fanatic as, as the lead-in to you. Yeah, that's right. We, we had the original oh, wow. friend of the Fanatic on as the lead-in to you, talk about the power of fun, and then hear about... The fun that you had going on an 11,000-plus-mile road trip in a Honda Accord to visit 14 players that were in a pack of 1986 Topps baseball cards. I thought this was the coolest idea. 
explain to me where this came from a kid that you know grew up a Phillies fan and I enjoyed you saying like you're the guy that goes you're out in Oakland you go sit in the upper deck and sit by yourself and keep score of the game like you just like to focus on baseball yeah and when I was doing that I you know I realized like I still follow baseball but I don't know the players nearly as well as I did when I was five um and I, you know, started wondering, well, I've always wondered, like, what happened to my favorite player, Don Carmen? I don't know if you guys remember Don Carmen for the Phillies. Oh, yeah. But, um, we do, but not many know, people I, had I, him as their favorite player. <laughs> that, that, that is true. And, that, and that was, that's what made me especially weird was uh, I always liked the guys that were the underdog types. And so um, I wondered, you know, kind of that where are they now thing, and I thought, well, what better way to get at that than to than to get a random sample of guys? And to do that, if I could just get a, a pack that had never been opened, and those would be the 15 guys that I would you know go out and try to find all over the country. And, and what was it like? Now, how many packs did you go through before you decided this was the pack I was going to use? And, and how excited were you that Don Carmen was actually in one of the packs? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I went through about a dozen. I uh, I knew that if I just did one you know, that if too many guys had passed away or if everyone lived in the same state, you know, it wouldn't be a very good road trip book. So uh, obviously having Don Carmen was extra special, but I also wanted to get uh, a good mix of guys that were spread out across the country. So, um, yeah, it worked out, worked out well. And you didn't start this trip alone. You actually started this with, with buddies of yours. Right. And in fact, when we first we're thinking of the idea. Um, initially, those guys were going to come with me, and it would have been more, I think, of like a buddy road trip. But in the, you know, in, in the end, they had they had to go back to their lives and uh, weren't able to join me for for seven weeks on the road. But you know, I think it was it worked out well because I was able to really get um, at some of these stories of these players that hadn't been told before, kind of get beyond the baseball. And that was really the goal with the book is to do more than just a baseball book, but, you know, talk about or try to bring these guys to life beyond just their baseball statistics. That was the thing that, that really struck me is that I think it would have been a different book if you went with your friends because these players, you know, they are often very guarded. They really seem to, to let their guard down with you and, and show some of their vulnerabilities and open up to you. Did you expect that going in? And, and what was it like when, when you realized that that was happening? Yeah, it's a great point. And I, I always say, like, if, if I had to describe the book in one word, it would be vulnerability. Um, and no, I didn't. I mean, I hoped for that. I didn't expect it. Um, I knew that the kind of book I wanted to write would have me actively involved. And that, you know, I thought the best possible version of this book would, would have to have some kind of overarching narrative arc to bridge all these different players' stories. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's just kind of like 15 magazine profiles stapled together. And so when I got to talk to, like, Rance Mullenix in the beginning, and he kind of opened up about his first marriage and how, you know, he was, he, he was a good guy. He wasn't, like, off philandering or anything. But even then, he was so committed to baseball that he admits that he was not there for his kids. Um, and then Steve Yeager's next and Steve Yeager opening up about, you know, his father getting so drunk in the clubhouse that he passed out while Yeager was playing a game against the Reds. Those early experiences, I was like, okay, this is, you know, these, uh, this is, this is working. These guys are, are opening up to me. And I, you know, just kept on, on going with that. And, and a lot of themes came out that, uh, I didn't necessarily or could never have anticipated, but I think, you know, make the book a lot better. 
the, the story the the couple chapters both leading up to meeting Don Carmen the you know going and meeting his family and then meeting him there were some stories in there that that we hope you'll re- re- retell which were were funny um, one of which and, and then and then also I want to ask you about Don Carmen and what he opened up to you about which I was kind of it just kind of hit me when it when it when it when I got to that part but Don Carmen was a guy who was was doing kung fu with with Steve Carlton, but not all the players seemed to be uh, up for for doing the kung fu with them. Yeah, that's a great story. You know, this we're talking in the in the mid '80s when you know now nowadays all these guys have their their trainer and they have all the you know their their customized physical fitness regimen. Back in the mid '80s, you know, he talks about Kent Colby in the bullpen smoking a cigarette, uh, putting the cigarette down on the mound to throw a pitch and then picking the cigarette back up. Right. And then different. Talks time. About, uh, <laughs> yeah. It talks about, uh, John Crock coming through, you know, when Carlton, I guess Carlton wasn't there anymore, but Gus Heffling, who was that conditioning guru that worked with Carlton and Don Carmen, you know, Crock would come through and just kind of say, you know, give a joke or two and then, and then take off. So Don Carmen was the only guy, crazy enough to actually do those workouts with Steve Carlton every day. And he talks about the, the, you know, the regimen they went through and, you know, I mean, we've, we've all heard those, you know, the one, what is it, the fingertip, fingertip pushups and all that stuff. And, you know, just insane level of, of dedication. But, um, it was, yeah, he, he kind of recounted all that for me. Jason does those before every show, <laughs> uh, the fingertip pushups. <laughs> Car- Carmen did something. So, Jason and I interview a lot of ball players at, at, in different sports, and you know a lot of them give the the standard canned answers, no matter what you ask them. But but Don, what Don Carmen did, what you what you retold in the book, was to me one of the funniest things. I don't want players to do this, but but was one of the funniest things that I actually read in the book. Yeah, and that's where Carmen, you know, posted a list of like thirty seven canned responses on his locker so he just told the reporters yeah pick your pick whichever one you want today <laughs> right but i mean that that ref, that reflects who carmen is which he's such a original thinker i mean he just sees the world through like entirely different glasses than everyone else and uh it, it i mean he was i think the highlight of the book for me well and and in in talking to him he he eventually got to a point where he he opened up and and to me, that story was was what really what the book is about. As much as it's it's about fun, it's about just like you were talking about before the way that these guys opened up. It's like they had a whole lifetime of of playing sports where they had to be guarded, and all of a sudden you show up on their doorstep or at a restaurant, and and they tell stories that even they don't know that they're going to tell you. Right, and I think. You know, one thing I would do, I would I had a big thick folder uh, of all the articles from their careers that that I had printed out, and I would start when I met a guy, I would start by putting that folder in front of them and saying, you know, I've read all of this and I feel like I know nothing about you, and I think that kind of set the tone that this wasn't going to be your typical sports book. Well, you say it's not your typical sports book. Uh, the section on Randy Reddy. Proves that uh, you went bowling, you drank beers, you worked out at the gym, and uh, as somebody who was getting a divorce, you taught him how to use Tinder. Uh, please tell me about <laughs> your time hanging out with Randy Reddy. <laughs> yeah, if I if I could have a beer with one guy again, it would probably be him. Um, and in fact, 
when I did the epilogue. So I, the, I took the trip in 2015. I um, did the epilogue last year. So I had to call all these guys again and say what happened in the last four years. And, you know, actually a lot happened. And um, you'd be surprised how much could happen in four years there. And, and Reddy had actually gotten married. And so my first question was, well, did you meet her on Tinder? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is? The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> It, it so I was, can't take credit for that. It was just amazing to me that you go on this journey and, and those are the kind of things that end up coming out of it. Just things that you never would expect when you when you got in your car and decided that this was the book you were going to write and this was the ride you were going to take. Just made me laugh a little bit. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, that was, I mean, there, yeah, those, those sort of unexpected surprises, you know, um, just made it, made it so much fun. Well, Gary, Gary Templeton seemed like somebody that, that was waiting for, for you or somebody like you, anybody uh, to ask him yes. a question about what happened, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, as some, I know, right? That's yes. Yeah, so as somebody who grew up, ahead. I mean, the pack of cards you're talking about was, was my, my, my teenage years. I mean, that, that, that's when I collected baseball cards and, and, and so I remember the trade at least of Gary Templeton for Ozzie Smith. What I didn't realize was what you retell in the book is, is what, what transpired beforehand and how Gary Templeton has, it looks like he's been waiting to unload about Whitey Herzog. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know that it's ever been told in that in its entirety like that, where he kind of gives the full context because I, you know, I did as much research as I could about that incident. And, and to me, it was pretty appalling, you know, once you hear the whole story to know that, that what prompted or what spurred, you know, Templeton to give the, give the fans the finger and all that, was really that they were yelling the N-word at him, you know, I mean, just horrible stuff. And, you know, but the fact that that wasn't reported by any of the media in the coverage of that is, to me, startling. And, you know, as Templeton says in the book, you know, those his teammates heard it, you know, everyone around him could hear what was being yelled. Whitey Herzog heard it. Um, but when it came to, you know, telling, talking to the media, no one really had his back. Yeah, well, not, nobody had his back. And to me, the, what was kind of troubling was that Whitey Herzog didn't have his back. But, you know, this, this, well, right. th- that's, that's kind of a manager's job to have his back. And instead, as you retell, there was a fight in the dugout and then, then basically a, almost a season-long suspension followed by a, a big, big trade. And that, that seemed like it was troubling to Templeton that his manager didn't have his back. His team didn't have his back when this happened. Well, absolutely. And, you know, and that's, and then the bigger, the bigger issues around race and the culture of baseball at that time is, comes up as a theme multiple times in the book. When I talked to Al Cowan's uh, cousin, Billy, and his son, Purvis, and Al Cowan's was the one player that passed away. But, you know, again, um, Billy Cowens, who was actually roommates with Gary Templeton in 1974 in the minor leagues, uh, tells this story about how they were trying to get an, uh, an apartment in spring training in Florida. And these guys had told them, oh, go over to this hotel. They have plenty of rooms. And they show up, and the guy at the front desk tells them they don't have any vacancy. And, and Billy Cowens says, well, you know, I know you do because our teammates just told us to come here. And he opens the, the closet behind him, and there's a, a clan hood you know, hung up in the closet. I mean, this stuff is just crazy. That, you, but you realize the that was the culture in as as late as the seventies and eighties that these guys had to deal with. My goodness, I don't even know how to transition from that to the less serious Carlton Fisk uh, encounter that you had. Who was? Yeah, right. He was not interested in talking to you, 
I admire that you were not willing to take no for an answer. Can you tell me how you ended up <laughs> as a millionaire home buyer on a golf course you shouldn't have been on? Well, the funny thing, if you guys noticed in that chapter, is that it, it, it occurs to me way too late in that whole ruse that I had constructed that uh, <laughs> I'm, here I am posing as a millionaire home buyer to sneak onto this golf course where Carlton Fisk golfs to ambush him. And I forget to realize I'm pulling up in a 2002 Honda Accord <laughs> with, with, Cali- with California license plate in Florida. And I'm, I'm talking about, oh, yeah, I'm here. You know, like who drives from California to look at a house? Right? In their Honda. The most, yeah, in their Honda. The most absurd, you know. But <laughs> so I just, you know, I have, a, I have a good time just making fun of myself in that chapter. And, um, but I, it really was like nerve wracking. I'm, I'm not a good liar. And here I am trying to act like I belong and, and get to Carlton Fisk. Um, so, you know, as you guys say, with, I was determined with guys like Fisk and Vince Coleman who didn't want to talk to me that I was at least going to do everything I possibly could to get to them and to write about them. And, uh, I think it actually makes for a better book to not have had everyone be a a great guy. Yeah. You had a better chance of, of meeting the checklist than you did of Carlton Fisk. (laughs) (laughs) How disappointing was that that you got a checklist card? (laughs) I hate well, that I'll tell you guys something I haven't, I haven't said often, but the original, uh, one of the things that didn't make it into the book was on the way from Florida, right after Carlton Fisk to New York, I stopped for a day and hung out with the Iron Sheik, the professional wrestler. Nice. You wrote a and book on him. That's a whole, well, you started to, right? Right. That's a whole other story. See, I grew up a wrestling fan, so you're talking my language now. <laughs> It was originally going to be the checklist chapter was going to be the Iron Sheik because it was like this sort of wild card. <laughs> and then my, you know, my editors, they were all like, yeah, this could definitely like kind of take the take the reader out of the narrative. So I said, OK, I won't I won't put it in. But it was still a lot of fun. You're not on his Christmas card list either, are you? No, nah, I, don't, I don't think that's <laughs> No, we're happen. still, you know, we're, we're still uh, we're actually in pretty good in, in good touch. Me and oh, the Iron Sheik. OK. Hey, how about Dwight Gooden? You you had a hard time trying to track him down, and and ultimately didn't get to sit with him. You talked to his son, right? Yeah. So um, Gooden was the only player that wanted me to pay him. He was said I had to pay him five hundred dollars to talk to him, and so I said, okay, I'll do that, but I'm going to write about it in the book. You know, I'm going to make full disclosure. And so we had a, an appointment set up, and I end up in his living room in in Westbury, New York, on Long Island. Uh, with his oldest son, who I interviewed, and he just no-showed the whole the whole time I was there. Even his son was having a hard time finding out where he was. And it turns out, um, at the same time, I didn't really know this, but I don't know if you guys saw that 30 for 30 on Doc and Daryl yeah. that Judd Apatow did, but it they were filming that around the same time. And if you see that documentary, you, you know, you get all the context you need, put two and two together about what was happening there. But um, it just I just happened to you know, be there when this whole thing was going on. Well, I, I just think, look, as, as a kid who grew up in North Jersey during that time and remember the Dwight Gooden, the giant poster on the side of a building and how he had that whole city in the palm of his hand and, and had the whole future ahead of him, the, the tragedy of, of Dwight Gooden comes across. But to me, the, the bigger part of it was you captured not the, just the tragedy of, of, of a city and, and a baseball fan, but his family. The, the, the fact that right. you, you could feel the, dis, at least from your words, you could feel the disappointment in, in the words of his son having to constantly make up excuses for his dad who 
couldn't be responsible enough to show up, even though he was going to be paid $500 for an interview. Right. And, and that was, you know, going into that chapter when I, when I got the, I remember opening up the pack and having the good in card and being really disappointed because I was like, well, how do you write something original about this guy? Who's, you know, he's written three autobiographies. Um, and, and really, even though I didn't get to talk to him, it, it didn't really matter because I always saw his son as a novel way to tell his story. It, it definitely, I mean, look, I could ask you questions all day, but we, we know you've got a tight schedule. I just want to know, what's the favorite thing you learned from any of the players that you spent with, if there was a lesson or a story or something? Uh, I think Don Carmen's sort of life philosophy, which, you know, I talk a lot in the book about my own struggle with OCD and, and, you know, which is really just an anxiety disorder. And all these guys, you know, you have to master anxiety in order to be a successful baseball player. And you have to master uh, failure. And so Don Carmen's very deep, very Zen sort of philosophy about, you know, really focusing on our behavior versus our thoughts and our feelings. And that, you know, realizing the only thing you can ever control is your behavior. Um, the your thoughts and your feelings, they're going to come and they're going to go, but you know, how you respond to them is what matters. That was just brilliant. Uh, a brilliant piece of advice that we all can learn from. Well, I'm going to leave it there on that note. The book is The Wax Pack on the Open Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. Uh, tell people where they can find it if they want to pick up the book and how they can learn more. Sure. Uh, they can go to waxpackbook.com and at waxpackbook on Twitter. And, um, you know, I really encourage with this, the whole pandemic thing that's going on right now that um, people, to, if they're going to order it, try to get it from your local bookstore to you know, help support the independent bookstores because they're really getting creamed right now. So, wow. and uh, please, yeah, I'd love to interact with people on, on Twitter. Well, we will uh, definitely keep following. Wish you the best of success with the book. Thanks so much for giving us a little time. And uh, when this all passes, we'll have you back on to talk Phillies a little more one day. Yeah, you know, I had to cancel my whole book tour, but my, my highlight was getting to end the tour in Philadelphia. That was the plan. So hopefully I'll still get to do that someday. When you reschedule it, we'll make sure we try and figure out how to how to do this again sometime. We very much appreciate the time, Brad. Best luck with the book. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Jeff, the, I know that that book was right up your alley. When you when he showed it to me, I don't know if you expected me to be as excited as I was about I, the I, idea. You know, you know what? I expected fun is what I what I thought of because I pictured myself. He starts the book with with describing how a pack of how a pack of cards comes to to being that the the factory is actually in Pennsylvania. I remember the smell of the card and the taste of well, the. Well, that's it. Gum. So 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 you know. And breaking my teeth on the. How many people gum? describe their if they have a passion for baseball describe when they go to a game, the smells and the sights and the sounds, all the senses that you have when you're baseball. And he captures that at the beginning of the book on how a pack of cards, what the factory is uh, like. All right, so were you a guy goes. that ripped open the pack of cards or did you like slowly fold it open? Oh, no, I also, I also cheated. So, so of course you uh, did. Like, when, <laughs> this, this is my surprise. No, when, 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 so when, the, <laughs> when, the, when the packages got to the point where they were semi-transparent, you would you would go to the store and you could see what the first oh, card the was on it. Yeah, so you would leave the bad cases for other people. Of and you course, would take all the so, like, wouldn't you want the ones that had your oh, players or your Jeff. team? No wonder I, mean, I never got good cards. You came in before me. No, I hate to tell you, we're different generations of who got That's cards when. Clearly, so. what had no, you were but, still buying. But cards, it was you know there was so much. Uh, I was hoping he'd tell a story. We didn't get a chance of all the Don Carmen stuff, and I really encourage people to get it because there's so many good things in there. But 
to me, what was kind of sad was the whole story of Don. You know, the we father. talk about father and sons. You being a new father for the second time, and my son and I going to baseball games, and he grew he, up with a, with a father who he literally said to to Brad that he never spoke directly to his father twice. In, in, no, he his father spoke to him, to him twice. To twice, he never spoke directly to his father for the fifteen years that his father was there when he was. A kid until his father died. It does make you realize that for all of the fame and notoriety that they get, these athletes are still people with a, a lot of the challenges that, that we go through at all the different times. And yeah. it, it just makes you think about it differently. He's also a sports. I, I also learned about sports psychologists. It never crossed my mind that the teams have sports. Don Carmen's a sports psychologist for Scott Boris and his players now. And to me, that was fascinating, not just that he does it, but also that that players aren't that open to sports psychologists when they're provided by the team because they, they're not sure whether the information is going to be provided to the owner and the general manager. It is an interesting balance. Yeah. How much you, you share. Uh, yeah. That, right. That's so Scott Boris cleverly has, has hired Don Carmen to be a sports psychologist for his, his players. I want to keep talking baseball with you yeah so there's some things that happened this week that were newsworthy um potentially no more tommy john surgeries for right now because of some of the shutdowns why is that <laughs> that includes sir anthony <laughs> why huh? is that relevant because <laughs> yeah. apparently without playing any games this year sir anthony dominguez may need tommy john surgery Did chris so, sale get his in before him uh i believe so yeah. his wasn't done by uh by the same doctor mm-hmm. his was done in los angeles on monday and noah Syndergaard underwent his but Sir Anthony Dominguez now will have to wait. My question to you is, why didn't this get done last year? I don't know. This is exactly the same thing that he had, correct? Yeah, but, but well, we don't know if it's exactly the same thing. And the, the, one, the one thing that I have always been reluctant to do is question medical advice and medical decisions because no matter how obvious it may seem to, to us, we don't know. We, what we know is they are getting advice from multiple doctors. So it, the easiest thing to do is to criticize a team and possibly the players for saying, why did you wait? We don't know. We have no idea what, what they saw in a scan. We have no idea what improvement or non-improvement they were making. We are not doctors. So it's, it's easy for us to, the gut reaction is he should have had it sooner because now he needs it. But we don't know if that was it. And we have no idea what, what, what led up to those decisions. And quite frankly, we didn't know that a pandemic was coming and that he that now it was going to happen and he would I'm be I'm not questioning not having. having to wait. I'm questioning the Phillies going into the season with that. We don't know. There, there. There, were, there were signs that he, that he had improved, that, that there was healing from it. It's, and you don't want to do this because you are losing a year and a half of your career, of your career right? Exactly. So, so if but you now he's lost avoid, two and a half years of his career. But but they obviously saw something that we don't know about. Sure. That that led them to believe they were obviously wrong, but it, but they didn't know that at the time. Justin Turner has an idea for when baseball does come back. Mm-hmm. He does not want seventeen inning games. He wants to take a cue from the NHL with shootouts, and if a game goes ten innings, you get one extra inning. Then you pick the team's three best hitters and give them all five outs and see who hits the most homers. Jeff, are you in or out? I'm out. I'm shocked. I'm out. Come on. Tell me, Mr. Old School, why you don't like changing this, too, when these players are going to have to basically play everyday doubleheaders. So you'd prefer ties? Yeah. You just want tie Uh, At that point, I'll take it. I don't don't want a home run derby at the end of the game. It it just doesn't doesn't make sense, and it, it... 
That's not what baseball. Let me ask you baseball a question. Baseball is all about the long season. Let me ask you a question. All, it's all about the. Would, would your son like that idea? Of course. So is this a is this is just a generational? You like baseball the way it was. You don't want to see a change thing. No, it's me. Oh, so it's not everybody <laughs> in the look, generation. You're gonna, it's just you're gonna, you. Eventually, you're going to say it, so I'm just going to get to it, that it's just me and get off my lawn, and I like baseball the way it is. If you don't like baseball the way it is, then you don't like baseball. That's my opinion. That's not the majority opinion. I recognize that, but I love the game that I grew up watching, the game that I was okay sitting and watching for two and a half and three hours. The game by, you will not let and, change and, so that other and, people and can by enjoy the, said by game. By the way, the game that I, as recently as last week, watched the 16-inning Major League uh, NLCS game between the Astros and the Mets. I, I'm okay with the it. The Astros are a great lead-in. Okay. So with the I didn't even try, season potentially not happening, yeah. do you know that... They're the, the only sus- ones going... Phew. The suspensions, yeah. they would count. Says who? So apparently, according to Buster Only, A.J. Hinch and general manager Jeff Lujo would fulfill their one-season suspension even if there's no baseball. Because, That's ridiculous. Because the wording from the commissioner was both punishments end following the completion of the 2020 World Series. So if there is no 2020 World Series, do they extend the punishment? You extend it. There's, there uh, is, it's not what there, it seems. No, no. There is no way that they are going to get away with everybody. That most people Look believe. Look how fired up I got that, you right there. Most people, I think, agree with me that the Astros got off light. Look, right? Evan no, Gattis no. said this week, obviously we cheated baseball on the fans. Everybody wants to be the best player in the world. I don't care what he has to say. And we cheated the fans. I fans felt duped. I feel bad. I, I don't care because he doesn't really feel bad because he's not returning. He the says t- he's not asking for sympathy. He's is, he ask, is he returning his World Series ring? Apparently not. Is he returning his game checks from the playoffs? You should call him. Okay. Well, he's not. Okay. So what, what I know is that the one thing pe- most people agree with me on is, is that there is no way that that was a severe enough punishment. And if if Rob Manfred decides that he's going to let this count when there's no games, <laughs> there there better be a new <laughs> well, let me a new guy in charge. With, with the they're saying the year is going to count with that, but it's also with the players with contract situations. They're going with to the, whole, the players are going to get credit for a year, and like, I guess there's a happy that's fine. Year. You're going to have teams that potentially lose players that never play like, for them. We could have seen JT Romuto realistically play his last yes, game in a full absolutely. Yeah. That is something uh-huh. that could seriously happen. But but that's that's and it would their- stink. We're quite sorry, Jeff, because you traded uh, Sixto Sanchez in that trade. So now you would potentially lose JT Romuto, the gem of that trade, and you lost Sixto Sanchez that, as well. Yeah, but that's life. This is a, oh no, this is this accepted, is, Vito. That's no, life. No, because that's Ouch. life. This, life will this disappoint is their you. Lives, get used to this it is their the lives and line. their careers. I I get that their careers are, are going to be shortened as a result of something that's out of their control. The fact is the Astros cheated, <laughs> and they'd be skating out of a punishment. There is no way that That's you can— That's not their fault, though. Sure it is. Well, it's not their fault, that they, but they still need to be punished. I agree. Uh, well, if, if, if something happens and my kid was punished and all of a sudden I can't do it that weekend, I'm not going to then say, You're okay— You're going to reschedule his punishment? Yes, I'm going to reschedule his punishment. Glad I'm not your oh, son. Oh, you're, right, so, oh, you're not? So on to the Sixers. The Knicks are <laughs> oh, you're not. The Knicks are interested in Elton Brand. I want to be your next. kids. We'll see. i got to deal with that later. Yeah. Knicks are interested in Elton Brand as their next general manager. He still has a year left on his contract. 
Is this just a trial balloon that is going it's, nowhere? James or? Dolan is a moron. Okay, <laughs> so, but it's and, not James Dolan. It's Leon Rose. I don't the care new who president. It, I don't care who it is. The fact is, is, is if the Knicks, if Knicks fans had their choice, they want somebody who is going to be have gravitas and is a guy that's going to some somehow have had some experience and stand up to crazy James Dolan. Elton Brand's not going to be that guy. Oh, and by the way, I forget Pat LeBriley and Phil Jackson were that guy. Maybe the answer is they don't need a general manager. They just need to get rid of James if Dolan. If you're the Sixers, do they let him go? Because uh, I have to I don't to think, think they will. There are questions about whether Brett Brown's coached his last game here. I, I think Elton stays because he, he allows, gets along with he the allows ownership and the players to kind of do their things. I, I don't know if Brett will be back. But yeah, if, but but but... The problem is right now is that the Sixers have no, there's nobody in charge. It's everybody kind of for themselves. And, 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 I mean, you heard what Jimmy Butler said. I'm inclined to believe a lot of what Jimmy Butler said about it. As much as he wasn't here that long, from everything that, that I've seen and everything that you see is you have a bunch of players that are, you know, I know the NBA is run by players. This team seems to be run by players a lot more than other teams. Last minute of the show, a little golf. Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson reportedly going to go find a golf course somewhere. And play Are they going to play different holes at the same time? Charity match for uh, coronavirus relief. They may have Tom Brady and Peyton Manning with them. Uh, <laughs> will you watch? Will you pay, Jeff? I'm not paying. Well, I, I, th- if it's for charity. If it's for charity, then I will pay. Okay. Uh, I'm not, I didn't pay to watch the last one. I'm not playing to watch two guys even though it Watch was good, up. and I enjoyed the side bets that they yeah, made on right. things. That was yeah. more fun uh-huh. than anything. That's why I think if basketball comes back without fans, it'll be fun because you'll hear all the trash talk with the gym being totally Well, silent. especially if they decide they're going to have it in the Bahamas. Vito, in, in a- Vito will like this. They're going to need the dump button if they come back without fans for the trash talk that's going to go on oh, in those yeah. games. Uh-huh. All right, that's going to be the last word for this week, Or just week, put it Jeff. on cable. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.